A brutal attack on a Beijing street. A staffer for the Israeli embassy in China stabbed by a foreign national. Beijing's mouthpiece using the war to paint the U.S. and Israel in a negative light. And a closer look at how the Chinese regime pushes different narratives within its borders. Be ready for war. A congressional report warning the U.S. is facing a major risk of military conflict against not one, but two nuclear adversaries. And how a Chinese-American gangster's money laundering scheme changed the game for drug cartels. A new report exposing how officials say Chinese authorities could be involved. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A staffer at the Israeli embassy in China was stabbed in Beijing on Friday. Jews around the world are being advised to stay vigilant after Hamas issued a call for, quote, day of rage. We want to warn you that the following footage is graphic and includes video of the stabbing. Footage shows the diplomat being stabbed multiple times by a man in white on a sidewalk in Beijing. Another video shows the injured staffer lying on the ground with security and onlookers standing near him. One of them could be heard saying, The diplomat was rushed to the hospital and is in a stable condition. The attack didn't happen within the embassy compound itself, which is just one over from that of the United States. Chinese police say the attacker has been arrested and an investigation is now underway. Beijing has not condemned Hamas's terrorist attack since it launched. Anti-Israel sentiment is running high on Chinese social media. Is propaganda flowing from Beijing amid the Hamas war? Let's take a closer look. The West is vowing support for Israel while condemning Hamas, the terrorist group that started the war. In this moment of tragedy, I want to say to them and to the world and to terrorists everywhere that the United States stands with Israel. We will not ever fail to have their back. But on Chinese social media platforms, some internet users have come out to support Hamas and condemn Israel. One comment reads, normal people will support Palestine. It's evident that Palestine is fighting for survival. Another wrote, Israel can win the war with the support of the United States, but it will never get the support of the world's righteous people. In a social media post, an influencer fired a warning toward the U.S., saying, if you interfere with our Taiwan street, we will interfere with your Israel. A pro-Beijing outlet reposted the message. Analysts say Chinese propaganda could be playing a part in the sentiment. Worth noting, China's 1.4 billion people don't have access to the free Internet. The news reports they're exposed to are heavily censored and often filled with state-controlled narratives. The Chinese regime's mouthpieces, such as Global Times and China Daily, posted graphics and commentaries this week, accusing the U.S. of meddling in the war. An expert said it's one of the go-to tactics of Beijing's propaganda. The Chinese regime always paints the U.S. as the bad guy in the Middle East conflict. Speaking to VOA, senior China researcher Wang Yaqiu said Beijing always tried to shift the blame on the U.S. and its allies, with one key goal in mind, to defame the U.S. A period unlike even the most dark days of the Cold War. A congressional commission says today's United States must be ready for war, and not just on one front, but two. Let's take a closer look.
The report from the Strategic Posture Commission yesterday said the U.S. must prepare for possible simultaneous wars with Russia and China. China has certainly been uh, encouraging the worst excessive behavior from its uh, allies, not just in Iran, but also we've seen the last couple years with Russia. It said the U.S. should expand its conventional forces, strengthen alliances, and modernize its nuclear weapons program. The panel also calls for deploying more nuclear weapons in Asia and Europe and producing more stealth bombers and nuclear submarines. Current U.S. national security strategy calls for winning one conflict while deterring another. The new proposal would require huge defense spending increases, and it's uncertain whether Congress will support it. A shadowy drug money laundering scheme linked to the drugs and cartel operations. And at the center, a Chinese-American gangster. A new report is shedding light on how he got Mexico's drug lords to hand over millions for cleaning. According to the ProPublica report, that man is Xi Jinli. Drug Enforcement Administration agents first learned of him in 2017 while trailing money linked to the drug trade in Tennessee. They soon discovered that he had solved a longtime problem for the cartels, how to turn dirty drug money into clean fortunes. Earlier methods required time, middlemen, and lots of money, and had risks. Lee's method skipped that, using messengers with no criminal records to make drop-offs, and laundering the cash through transactions across the U.S., Latin America, and China using so-called mirror transactions. The report described it as cheap, fast, and efficient. He even guaranteed free replacement of cartel cash lost in transit. In their investigation, U.S. agents later found Li's operations appear to have links to the Chinese Communist Party authorities. Experts point to Beijing's tight control over its financial system, suggesting Li's ability to move millions through China indicates the green light, or at least a blind eye, from Beijing. The Chinese regime rejects the accusations. Some officials in Washington believe Chinese authorities seek to foster the U.S. drug trade to destabilize the country. A self-driving truck startup next in line to separate its China business from the West. Called Plus AI, the company has split its Chinese and U.S. operations. Now two independent companies, the Chinese unit is called Jijia Technology and is working to develop a self-driving truck fleet for the Chinese market. The U.S. entity, still called PLUS, will expand in the rest of the world. Alongside the split, PLUS made a deal with one of its key shareholders, China's Full Truck Alliance. Going forward, it will focus on the company's China unit. Full Truck Alliance has become known as China's Uber for trucks. According to Reuters sources, both it and PLUS are looking to safeguard themselves amid rising U.S.-China tensions and Beijing's tightening regulations. The split follows in the footsteps of similar action by U.S. venture capital firms Sequoia and GGV Capital. A message to Beijing. On Friday, the European Union's chief diplomat urged China to fix its trade imbalances with Europe. Here's what he said. We will have European elections very soon, and this topic of the trade imbalance with China will certainly come up and be one of the most important things that we will be discussing politically in Europe. He added that otherwise the bloc would step up efforts to reduce reliance on Chinese exports. Burrell said that trust between China and the EU has been eroded, and restoring it will require both parties to work together. 
He noted that de-risking with China is not a hostile measure, but a way to strengthen Europe's supply chain. Burrell is on a three-day trip to China. He's scheduled to meet with Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi to discuss issues including the Israel-Hamas conflict, Russia's war in Ukraine, and cross-strait relations. Accusations are flying for Chinese smartphone maker Vivo. According to India's Financial Crime Agency, at least 30 of the company's employees and staff from its Indian affiliates are now accused of hiding their jobs while trying to get visas. Some of them also allegedly breached rules by visiting a sensitive region in the Himalayas without a government permit. The now public court filing comes just after the tech company saw one of its executives arrested earlier this week. That's as part of a money laundering investigation into Vivo. Authorities say it illegally funneled nearly $13 billion to China through small companies it controls, aiming to avoid paying Indian taxes. Vivo is India's second biggest smartphone player. New Delhi tightened curbs on incoming Chinese investment and banned hundreds of Chinese apps following a deadly clash at their disputed border in 2020. Next, a roundup of quick updates from inside China. First, a new wave of COVID-19 is spreading in China, and reports say young people are getting hit hard by the wave. In central China's Zhenzhou, a single hospital treated over 1,700 emergency care patients, all of them 18 to 25 years old, in September alone. This time, I truly understand what it means to lose the sense of smell, lose hearing, and have a headache so severe it feels like it's going to explode. Besides the health scares, bank runs are still in progress. It's happening alongside fears about real estate giant Evergrande and its severe debt woes. Hundreds were seen earlier this week filling up the building of a regional bank in Hebei province. Evergrande's liability tops $328 billion, making it the world's most indebted developer. A possible collapse would send shockwaves through China's banking system. Next, Chinese state staffers are going on strike. A picture of a red banner hanging in front of a state complex in southern China is going viral on social media. It reads that 31 staff members are walking out in protest. Their motivation remains unclear. Strikes are rare in China, largely because of fear of retaliation from authorities. But China's economic troubles appear to be leaving citizens with few options. Some local governments under the Chinese Communist Party haven't paid their employees for over eight months. Similar protests have broken out in other areas across China. And a new record low for births in China. The figure tumbled 10% last year to just 9.5 million in 2022. It's the lowest figure in over 70 years. An aging demographic has the potential to slow China's economy. That's as revenue drops and state debt increases due to soaring health and welfare costs. Moving to a case of human rights violations, an 87-year-old woman from China's Gansu province has been sentenced to six years and nine months in prison. She's one of the 104 Falun Gong practitioners who received jail sentences last month. The news comes from the U.S.-based Minghui website, a platform that tracks the Chinese regime's persecution of the Falun Gong spiritual discipline. Due to China's information blockade, the real number of arrests and detentions could be much higher. 
Falun Gong practitioners adhere to three guiding principles, truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. The Chinese Communist Party has persecuted the faith group for over two decades. Investigations say methods include forced organ harvesting. Are China-Australia ties on the mend? China's top international security forum is set to resume in Beijing after three years. Australia confirmed a senior official will attend the talks in a statement to Reuters Friday after a four-year pause. Relations between the countries deteriorated after Australia pushed to investigate the origin of COVID-19 and China leveled strict trade limits on critical Australian imports. But the current prime minister appears to be trying to mend Australia Australia's-China relations. Worth noting, China released an Australian journalist Wednesday after she spent three years in jail. The U.S. and China have stayed radio silent when it comes to military talks since last August. Beijing halted that communication in protest over then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. More from the Indo-Pacific region, the Japanese foreign minister just met her Thai counterpart in Bangkok Thursday. Both countries have territory disputes with China in the South China Sea, where Beijing claims almost 90 percent of the waters. Both Japan and the U.S., two strong allies, have been looking to expand cooperation with Southeast Asia to counter China's influence. The U.S., Japan and South Korea are launching a joint naval drill this week. Washington has sent a nuclear-powered U.S. aircraft carrier to the site. The U.S.'s Ronald Reagan's presence stands as a show of force in the face of regional threats from Beijing and Pyongyang. Uh, Since last year, North Korea has done over 100 ballistic missile tests. Um, We've never seen anything like this before. In other news, India has taken China's place as the largest source of international students studying in the U.S. Indian students who have received U.S. visas now top Chinese students by almost 20,000. Coming up, Chinese espionage in the U.S. military. A U.S. Navy sailor pleaded guilty to passing off unclassified information to China in exchange for cash. Those documents include Washington's plan for military exercises in the Indo-Pacific and blueprints for a radar system on a military base in Japan. As Beijing mobilizes its entire state apparatus against the U.S., where can Washington find a solution? To discuss, we sat down with Nicholas Eftimiadis, senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and author of Chinese Intelligence Operations and Tactics. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. An extensive espionage campaign making its way into the U.S. military. A U.S. Navy sailor now facing jail time for spying on behalf of China. What was his motivation and what does the case mean for U.S.-China relations? We spoke with Nicholas Eftimiadis, senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and author of Chinese Intelligence Operations and Tactics for more. Nick Eftimiadis, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you again for having me. A U.S. Navy sailor pleaded guilty this week to spying for China. What's your understanding of his motivation? Fourteen times he accepted cash, totaling, as far as we know, at least $14,000. So there's certainly a financial motivation, even if he had some feeling towards, you know, nationalistic motivation and feeling towards China. 
he certainly was doing it for cash. And in terms of the broader U.S.-China relations, how do you see cases like this fitting into that? This has gone to a, a vastly larger scale on, uh, with China's in, in, in China's methods. So it's acting, actually impacting economic policy. It's impacting U.S. foreign policy. And it's impacting the U.S. economy, which is extraordinary. Uh, as far as you know, you think of intelligence agencies and its activities actually changing the economy of another nation. So it, it's, it's China's taking it to a new level. And actually, they're actually flipping the global paradigm of what we've called intelligence collection or spying. What are the Chinese Communist Party's methods? It seems we're seeing something different than what we normally think of as intelligence gathering. Give us a sense of that. Traditionally, intelligence agencies um, obviously work in secret, and they're government entities, right? So they're government entities working against foreign governments, most often against foreign intelligence services, against foreign militaries and political apparatus as well, globally. But it's usually restricted to that, not in the case of China. China uses what we call a whole-of-society approach, and um, they task and use state-owned enterprises. They task uh, have CCP elements, United Front Work Department, acting globally, all targeting technologies and information you know, on behalf of the CCP. We have this total dynamic of economic espionage, hundreds and hundreds of cases of China actingly with government support going to steal foreign technologies and foreign intellectual property. So this is the dynamic shift. The U.S. doesn't do that. Most, most liberal democracies in the world don't engage in that. They don't steal another country's um, technology and then give it to their own commercial institutes. I mean, and that's the big difference in, in the way China operates. And given the level of this that you just laid out, what is the solution here? How can the U.S. counter that? The answer is not what we're doing now, uh, because I, I, you look at the example of the FBI, and uh, the FBI says they have a China case that opens once every 12 hours. That's 365 times two. That's 730 cases a year spread over 56 field offices. And if each one of these cases takes a year to two years to, to wrap up, you're already backlogged thousands of cases. The reality is um, we're not structured to deal with this. The U.S., most governments are not structured to deal with this. It takes a different type of relationship with private industry, and we have to get out of the mentality of trying to arrest our way out of the situation. It's just not going to happen. So the reality is the United States needs a strategic approach towards countering China, and to be honest, to forcing it into behaving by global norms. You know, compete the way everybody else does. Everyone's happy if that happens. Uh, but it needs a strategy to get there, which involves all of government and involves its, its private sector as well. And how would the U.S. force the Chinese Communist Party to comply with international laws? Is that economic leverage? What leverage would it be? It's all. It's uh, the same way China's playing. It's all mechanisms of government, of national power. It's economic. It's information. It's diplomacy. It's intelligence. It's cyber. All those things. And when China does something, an egregious act like uh, steals, as they did health data in the case of momentum, you know, steals 60, a date on 69 million people, 
The United States has to respond to that, not just arresting four people, not just indicting four people, but saying, fine, you know, ABC businesses can't do business anywhere in the United States. You can't fly on any carriers. And by the way, the same is going to apply for our allies, too. That's the type of pressure that we have to bring, bring to China, because otherwise they're going to continue to take advantage. Right now, there are no consequences for them. And that's, that's the key failure in American policy. Right? There is no deterrence because there are no consequences. So a person gets arrested. So a person gets indicted. So they get publicly shamed. It hasn't, hasn't even proved remotely close to stopping you know, this espionage onslaught. Nick Eftemiadis, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me again. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you soon.